Is it time to expect massive volatility in Bitcoin, crypto, and stocks? Is turbulence coming? Well, if you take a very close look at the bond market, that could be telling us that that's exactly what is going to happen. I'll be talking about this later in the stream and discussing it with Charlie Charlie Burton, who we've had many times here, is going to share a lot of charts and thoughts on the market. But first, I want to talk about real-world assets, tokenizing them. And I want to talk to my favorite person to talk about real-world assets with, and that is Sid Powell from Maple Finance. We're going to talk about how they're now allowing accredited American investors to buy securitized T-bills, which is amazing, and just how big this market is. I know it's easy right now to focus on the larger macro stories, obviously, everything that's happening with geopolitics. But it's also important to talk about the future of this industry that we care so much about and all the progress that we're making. Frankly, I'd rather talk about that right now than uh, stare at my Twitter feed. So that's what we're going to do today. Guys, you don't want to miss this one. It's going to be amazing. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. Yeah, yesterday was a real eye-opening, cathartic stream with Dave, James, and Mike digging into the macro with true experts and looking at what's likely to come and what could happen. Gave us great perspective, and I don't want to talk that to death all week, to be quite honest, right? I think we all know what's what's happening, and we're going to see endless... Fake news, bad takes, poor interpretation, shitty analysis of what a potential war that doesn't even exist yet could mean. And honestly, I would rather take a more positive route moving forward and discuss all the incredible development in the crypto space and what's coming. Now, I, I've had Sid on quite a few times. I'm going to bring him on right now. How are you, man? Hey, Scott. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on again. Of course. So listen, last time uh, we had you on, we talked about a tokenized future, basically bringing uh, seemingly all real world assets on chain. Now, RWA mm -hmm. has become one of the big catchphrases in crypto. Right. When I was it in has, Singapore, when I was in Singapore for token 2049, I think we missed each other there. Were you there? I was. I did Korea before, but I, but I think, um, yeah, I think we did miss each other there. Saw each other in consensus, and, though. Yeah. But, uh, so at Consensus, I wasn't seeing 100 booths talking about RWA, but at Token 2049, I saw seemingly literally hundreds of booths talking about yeah. RWA, right? So this seems to be maybe the next big thing in crypto. Not that it wasn't something that we were discussing in the past cycles, but it seems like it's here, right? I mean, I want to bring something up right now. We've got RWA.XYZ. This is tokenized treasuries, which you told us you were focusing on last time, bringing T-bills, obviously, on-chain. $700 million here already with the likes of Franklin Templeton and Wisdom mm -hmm. Tree Prime. These are huge names that are working on tokenizing T-bills. It is. It, it, it's, a, it's a big step, but that, that's actually undercounting it because it doesn't even count the assets held by Maker at the moment, which is probably the single largest holder of tokenized T-bills um, uh, on chain. So, I mean, all told, you're actually probably looking at over a billion dollars of um, T-bills that are that are effectively find their way on chain one way or another. And I I continue to see new startups kind of coming through that are looking to do this. Um, the narrative has shifted a little bit now from uh, just 
tokenized T-bills to doing yield-bearing stable coins, which are also, in my view, kind of a subset because they're still based on holding uh, T-bills as the backing for all of those assets. But this is this has probably been the fastest growing sector of DeFi that we've seen this year. Yeah, it, it has, and you've been way ahead of it, right? Obviously, you just kind of talked about how there's a number of other people coming in. You see backed finance right here. Tokenized U.S. Treasuries yeah. arrive on Coinbase's base with backed RWA token issuance. You guys seemingly were first. And as we discussed right before the show, you said, well, naturally, everybody's going to start rushing in, right? But it, it's kind of interesting that now we're already seeing this on L2s before it's even proliferated fully in L1s, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's continuing to grow. So um, it really began in, in February. Unfortunately, we weren't the very first. Uh, Ondo, um, Ondo probably holds, uh, holds that claim. Uh, but since then, we launched a couple of months later in May, and we've seen growth to you know, above 35 million uh, on the platform. And since then, we've seen other players come in. So I'm not surprised that it's moving to base. Like I think base is is a great venue. We've already seen some of these assets go on to, uh, to Polygon. And I think you're going to, I think, put it this way, if you're one of the teams building an L2, you want to have this product on there because it allows firms who, like crypto startups or DAOs who raise money to, to then keep those assets on your L2 and then earn a yield from the T-bills. So I think it's like, it's gonna it's gonna emerge as one of those core pieces of infrastructure, like having a version of Uniswap or a money market on top of the, um, you know, in, in in your DeFi sector on one of those L2s. So uh, back to Centrifuge already indicated they're moving to base. We're, we're looking at L2 solutions ourselves. And um, yeah, I, I don't see any sign of that slowing down. Can you talk about the mechanics of that yield on, I guess we have stable coins and tokenized treasuries here, but is that the same yield that's being offered by the bond itself, right? We all know that yields are have skyrocketed for 10-year treasuries, two-year treasuries, literally everything across the board. Or is there another sort of mechanism here for additional yield that's unique to DeFi or crypto once you actually put them on chain? It's a good question. Um, most of this is actually the... Um, sustainable yield coming from the, the bonds and the bills themselves. So if you look there, there's kind of two major structures um, in how this works. So the first is that you can be um, an LP in a fund. So that's how Ondo works. That's how a couple of the others work. And in that you're subscribing for a share for an LP share of that fund. The other way you can do it is uh, through loans. So our, the way Maple structure works is depositors are making a loan. And then off the back of that, we make a loan to an SPV that pledges the T-bills as collateral, and then it uses the interest from the T-bills to service that loan. Um, so that one's um, a little bit, we feel it's like a more of a lightweight structure that's a little bit more flexible, um, but the underlying yield is coming from the T-bills. So it's not reliant on token incentives. And so it's therefore, in my view, more, much more sustainable. Um, and what we're seeing now is, is some firms, um, we're actually working with one like Cicada, um, who's going to be launching a pool soon, who's looking for a higher yield than just T-bills because they're, they're going to incorporate things like um, uh, asset-backed bonds and, and others in that portfolio to get an enhanced yield. Other folks are looking at doing things like covered calls to enhance their yield as well. But we're seeing we're seeing this desire to start to push the yield up, which is kind of natural, I guess, once, once it started to proliferate and um, people want to get an edge through some kind of differentiation, right? Natural, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. 
But uh, I'm not saying it's a bad yeah. idea because, I, you know, if you understand the risk and you trust the person who's mm-hmm. actively managing to do it, but this just yeah. reeks of last cycle, doesn't it? The ever never ending chase for a slightly higher yield. Yeah, his, history history doesn't um, history doesn't repeat, but it certainly does rhyme, um, which we're seeing. The other the other thing is I continue to see new startups raising uh, raising funds at the moment to do tokenized T bills, and I think we're kind of hitting saturation point where I'm not sure there's too many more ways to differentiate it, and also. It's not exactly a high margin product, so you need to find ways to kind of add other products to your stable. Like if you're if you're uh, a venture or a protocol looking to do this, you're really only making maybe fifteen to twenty five basis points on this. So for all of us participating here, the, the play is to try and reach significant scale, so billions of dollars in these pools to um you know to to kind of just justify it and keep the lights on. Right. So you're not you're not looking to make a larger margin. You're just looking to have a much larger uh, bucket of cash there that people are investing yeah. to, to make that small bit uh, count for more. Which that's the way we would like to hear it, right? Yeah. Yeah. We. I mean, which is which is the way competition should work. It should should push down the fees that everyone's paying for this type of product. But it is at the end of the day, it's kind of a commodity product. Like, there's not too many ways to kind of set yourself apart with this. Like an ETF. That's why at least. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, look, look at look at the way the ETF market shaped it, shake, shook out, where the scale players like BlackRock um, hit economies of scale, and then they continue to grow their market share, which in turn gives them the ability to to drop prices even lower on a on a unit economics basis. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. I want to talk about a specific piece of news related to you guys. Maple Finance's tokenized treasuries available to U.S. investors after securities exemption. Not a headline that we see very often. Usually uh, when we see the U.S. in a headline on Yahoo Finance, Coindesk, or any other site, it's telling us how we can't participate. Typ- or typically somebody, not great. Or somebody's <laughs> getting sued or they want to tell us about, I don't know, SBF's relationship with Carolyn Ellison, which we don't talk about here, right? So yeah. uh, good to see that this is actually a story telling something that United States investors can do. Can you talk a bit more about this? Yeah, so so this um, this pool was offered under a Reg D exemption. So it means um, it's unfortunately limited only to accredited investors, uh, be they individuals or entities. Um, but it is is at least a step in the right direction. Um, so we did a, a PPM, so like a private placement memorandum, which serves as a disclosure doc um, for for any accredited investor in the US who wants to use this and it sets out all the risks, how it works. Um, but what's interesting was that the hypothesis before we launched this was that there wouldn't really be any as- appetite in the US because everyone has access to brokerage accounts. What we found is though crypto startups don't. Everyone knows, you know, Operation Chokepoint, which I think Chokepoint 2.0, which you covered really well, but that's meant that a lot of crypto startups don't actually have access to to banking and, and money market funds. So they've been interested in this product. But also at 50 basis points, it's actually not a huge cost for something to significantly better user experience. You get to self-custody your funds. You can move them around at 24 hours notice. And um, and you can see the interest that you're accruing in real time. So I actually think it kind of shows the UX of crypto is getting better and more people are, are opting into this over time. When I've spoken to other people, the, the, the kind of the analogy I use is that stable coins are kind of like a mobile. 
So it's like everyone used to have fixed line and then some people who are early adopters would have mobile. Then everyone kind of had both. And then eventually everybody just dropped their fixed line. I think that's the way stable coins will go. There'll come a point where it tips above parity and everybody's just using stable coins. I mostly only use fiat for kind of last mile stuff like paying bills and, and that sort of thing. Do you think that a big part of that will be CBDCs and central bank digital currencies, or do you think it'll still be the private stable coins that are so popular today or new versions thereof? I hope, uh, I hope not CBDCs. Um, I, I definitely would like to see this as, as something provided by the private sector. Um, and I think you have good stable coin options at the moment, but I think more will come through because it's hard to see that a bank wouldn't try and, um, get in on the action and, and launch its own stable coin, particularly like, um, in markets outside the US. But I think the government doesn't have a great track record of providing infrastructure or um, services or keeping them competitive. So I think it's naturally gonna be, you know, the private sector is gonna be able to hire better engineers. They're gonna be able to, to attract private capital to invest in the growth and, and um, maintenance of the infrastructure to manage stable coins. I mean, we don't have the government managing all of our telecom services or providing you with broadband. So it's, it's kind of crazy to think that they would be the ones providing you with, you know, digital currency. I 100% agree, but uh, governments and money don't uh, part too easily, right? So, uh, but but yeah. that said, I think that um, if we see reasonable legislation in the United States, for example, mm -hmm. that just tells you how you can use stable coins and specifically, uh, more importantly, what would be required of a stablecoin issuer to be compliant. Yeah, that that's the way forward. So I, I think that it's just a matter of actually getting that legislation, and I think it'll become very very clear. I I think so too, and I think I mean you you could have um, a bit of an integration between the government and the private sector. Like if they gave Fed accounts to stablecoin providers, like Circle, for example, then you still have oversight, you still have auditing, and um, and regulation of the stable coins, but you just have the private sector actually hiring the developers and, um, and you know, providing that service um, for something that's not an egregious monopolistic um, profit margin. Yeah, I, I agree with that exactly. Now I'm bringing up something for our next topic, which I know you're pretty uh, well informed on, which is the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA in the UK, these new marketing rules coming into effect and it seems that we have a lot of exchanges, platforms, protocols, uh, basically scrambling, even though we knew they were coming, mm -hmm. scrambling to be compliant. I know uh, OKX, for example, removed a ton of assets they were listing and the way that they, the, the language they were using to get compliant. And a lot of people have not yet been able to do that. But we have the FCA yeah. sets out expectations for UK crypto asset businesses complying with the travel rule. Uh, you guys yeah, can yeah. get into these links. We don't you know, need to read them. But obviously, FCA sets expectations ahead of incoming crypto marketing rules. And FDA, FCA already issues 146 alerts in first 24 hours of new crypto marketing regime. Yeah, I don't know if you, you know the broad strokes. I mean, guys, at the most basic level, they're just making it a lot more difficult to market crypto products and uh, the language you're allowed to use. Also, how what you need to do if you want to send amounts cross borders, mm -hmm. it's, et cetera. One of the biggest ones here that's going to absolutely crush YouTubers mm -hmm. uh, is basically you can't have a refer a friend or an affiliate link. <laughs> that, that was one of the ones. Oh, no. it's a, yeah, <laughs> it's one of the, the main listed ones right here. It, it literally is in the, one of their headlines. Here you go. Tough new rules designed to make the marketing of crypto asset products clearer <laughs> and more accurate. And the ban incentives like refer a friend bonuses will come into force on October 8th. So that was two days ago. So, I mean, maybe you can give the broad strokes of your thoughts on what's happening in the UK. Listen, it's not banned. That's good. 
Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's one thing. It's so silver lining. I think as as with a lot of this regulation, it kind of it kind of starts out with a with a, a good intention, which is hey, let's let's stop people getting scammed by by sending crypto to, to places where they don't know what's going to end up, and you know where where they they might have received like a phishing phishing link or, or something that's obviously scammy. And so everyone who wants to do crypto advertising has to register or do it through, you know, disseminate through a registered person. And that kind of sounds good on the face of it. But then you get into the the finer details of it and it starts to become really difficult. And I think historically, none of the regulation that kind of goes into this level of minutia um, kind of works out as planned. For anything, For example, not just crypto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like the old Cobra rule in India, right? You remember when they said... So under under the the British Raj, at one point they provided a bounty for killing cobras. So suddenly everyone started farming cobras, and then when they stopped providing the bounty, they just released them into the wild. So you ended up with way more cobras than than you had before. Um, and uh, <laughs> not to digress too much, but so in this rule, some some of the issues I can see, right? So we have some clients in the UK, and they're high net worths. So they've gone through like an accredited investor check. They understand the risks. They're they're pretty sophisticated, but the issue is, can we send them a newsletter that updates them on, to, on, on what Maple's been doing? So a question like that for startups is, you know, is that advertising? Is that advertising crypto services or is that just keeping them informed on, on what a startup has been up to and kind of what's going on in this space? So that's, um that's you know, that's, that's one thing that I think is going to impact like how do you know how do startups in the crypto space actually engage with the uk can they engage with the uk what what do uk based startups do because they can't afford to spend 6 months or 12 months getting registered just to put out a newsletter about what they've been up to um so i think we're, whilst the rule is well intentioned it's going to have all these um kind of side Unintended effects and externalities yeah yeah yeah, no. yeah. yeah it's uh, first of all it's generally these regulators don't understand the markets that they're regulating fully especially one that's so nascent and you know fast moving as this one there's literally no way that and and you have to sympathize with the regulators in this too even in the united states like there's really no way that yeah. they can think of everything right and and, yeah. and include no. it and be comprehensive so it's almost like they just need to put a very very basic lines on the road yeah. you know and a yeah. couple yeah. stoplights yeah. and uh, at, at key intersections and call it a day because digging any deeper than that you're probably going to hurt the industry and yourselves more than you're going to help yeah yeah I've, I've i've thought about this a lot right and if you look at like if you look at big patterns in innovation i mean imagine imagine if we taken the regulatory approach we take today when planes first came out like we never would have got to a boeing 747 because we'd still be working out whether people can fly twin props um and um so with this, I 100% I, I agree with you. I think we should just set out in, in all major um, jurisdictions, it should be like a sandbox. Um, it should set out just basic disclosure requirements and kind of, you know, best practices there and then allow enough degrees of freedom for innovation to occur. Like, I don't think you can kind of, I don't think you can necessarily mandate what technology needs to be built. I think you just need to set out a fair level of disclosures and kind of, you know, some prudent aspects of risk management so that people can make informed decisions themselves. But the way innovation occurs is a random walk. Like it's not a directed path set by governments. Yeah. Well, let's, we got a few minutes left. Let's talk about the beautiful land of make-believe of the future. Is there anything else now that we're tokenizing <laughs> T-bills that's getting you really excited right now that you're looking forward to that may be another major narrative in the next cycle? 
I, uh, yeah, well, I, I think now that we're tokenizing tables, like I think um, you'll see two, two, I guess a couple of things. One, one comes up a little bit is like hedging for that. So having derivatives uh, or futures or, or swaps that we can use in DeFi to kind of hedge those exposures. Like let's say you've got a T-bill exposure, but you want, you think maybe the yield curve is, is going to be inverted in a future. So you, can, you want to lock in that yield. So I think those kind of instruments are going to be really useful. It's more complex, but I think that was kind of what was missing from a lot of the past DeFi. Like if you looked at it, a lot of the DeFi yields weren't coming from sustainable sources. So it was really speculative. So you couldn't have those kind of secondary products built on top um, in a way that you might be able to now that you have kind of effectively tokenized credit markets on chain. The other one, though, is like more real world applications. Like I actually want to see more business use cases. Uh, we talk to a lot of uh, real world businesses that are interested now in borrowing from DeFi. So whether they be community banks, um, uh, uh, businesses that might be operating in trade finance, or it might be like um, folks who have uh, large uh, customers who and they need accounts receivable finance, whether it's for energy or for retail or, or something else. And so I think over the next 12 months, what I want to see is more opportunities like that, whether it's trade finance, because these are areas where we can actually compete better than banks because we don't have to settle on T plus two. We can move funds faster on chain. And so it's, it's actually going to, it's going to serve a customer who might be exporting grain from Brazil um, to the U S much better than what a bank can do. And um, what we've, what we've seen though is um, there's been a bit of a, a dent in the real world asset narrative of late. Um, but uh, I think it's going to come back and what people, what we need to find though, is kind of the right use case where it's high enough yield that on-chain investors are interested. It's short duration because people don't want to lock up their funds that long. And it's got to be like develop it, it. Like I think the emerging market threat is kind of coming off a bit and it needs to be either US based or like European based or, or Singapore or Hong Kong. So, you know, one, one of the kind of the more developed markets for this to occur. I mean, a loan against accounts receivable for a business is really interesting. Obviously, that 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 exists in the real world, but you've got to imagine that now, with all the financial strain, that accounts receivable are be becoming even more problematic for small businesses as people either choose to delay their payments or can't make them at all. But I guess the question mm -hmm. then becomes, how do you pay back the loan if <laughs> your accounts receivable are never? Yeah, back? yeah, but the um, and and there's ways you can manage it, right? Like if you're if if it's a small business that wants an accounts receivable loan, but the customer they sell to is Walmart very different credit risk and Walmart is, is, is highly unlikely to default. Very different to having, you know, 10 small businesses are, are your main clients who need, who need right. to pay you back. Um, so it's more but, filling the gap of time with a reliable customer than just uh, YOLO. It's, it's time because, ahead. yeah, it's, it's time because crypto can move money faster. So if you can settle instantly instead of on T plus two or T plus three, then you have a you have a distinct advantage over banks and other other providers, and the other thing is that banks are actually walking away from a lot of this business. So if you're an unrated, like unrated, think middle market or smaller smaller business in the U.S. or Europe, um, you're not really getting served by banks. You're you're increasingly having to go to credit funds where you get like gouged by by mid teen or high teen rates, and um, that's been the trend for at least the last ten years. Like we've all seen private credit grow massively. And all I'm saying is, is here, I think um, 
firms that are doing this on chain, like DeFi, have a distinct advantage over a lot of those private credit funds because they don't own the rails in which they send money. So they're having to ping JP Morgan and say, hey, JP Morgan, can you send out money to this to this borrower? Whereas we can just click a button and it goes from the smart contract to the borrower straight away. It settles in 15 seconds. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. You also said commercial or uh, or I guess maybe you said like community banks, not commercial banks, community banks. Interesting that banks would want to go on chain well, to borrow money instead of you know i'll, I'll tell you exactly <laughs> I'll, I'll tell i'll tell you exactly why and it's it's all since um this is this is again no um you know uh no good deed goes unpunished but the, but this is one of the products of the banking collapse that we saw in march so community banks were reliant on depositors for funding but deposit capital is now super flighty anyone at any moment could just withdraw their funds and send it to a gsib like JP Morgan, because they're concerned about the health of the community banks. So community banks are now going to need to tap capital markets for more um, stable and longer term funding. And guess what? DeFi is going to be open for business. We've already seen one um, community bank in the US borrow from Maker. And so I think yeah. you'll see more community yeah. banks try and opt for that, particularly if we can offer them a, a term duration loan. We're probably going to be able to get it done faster than what capital markets could. and. Um, I, so, yeah, I, I think there's a huge opportunity there for DeFi to serve community banks and add, put it, put it this way, add stability to, to the financial system in the U.S. It's funny to hear that term used, right? When uh, I yeah. think most people's perception of DeFi right now is extremely negative because of the hacks and exploits and lost funds. And I mean, I know it ain't DeFi, yeah. but yesterday I got a whole bunch of uh, fake text messages from FriendTech. To, you know, it's just yeah, these yeah. endless yeah. sort of phishing yeah. attempts. And so, I mean, I, I know we're about uptime, but how do you how do you sort of uh, explain to people the unknown unknown risks of DeFi, or how can they calculate that when considering something like this? Don't want to see a community bank get rug pulled. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. Um, and so I think cyber like cybersecurity in general is already pretty important for financial institutions. I think this just adds a new dimension to it where it's they need to watch out for, you know, approvals on on wallets and, and how they're sourcing funds. Um, I, I also get a ton of scams. I think what happened, though, is that like you on a, on a daily basis, if you go on your spam folder, you probably see hundreds of spam emails. And I think what we'll need for DeFi is better filtration systems. So you, you totally maybe agree. MetaMask provides you with a filter and says these things were scams and just filters them to the side and then only shows you kind of real interactions with your wallet. And um, also maybe, you know, maybe things like Chainalysis and TRM become products that are available to the everyday user so that you can filter and, and check that the contract you're interacting with is legit. And then the final thing would be insurance, like just having insurance providers who provide more um uh protection against hacks and things and i think if you look at like if you look at the um the size and severity and, and frequency of all these hacks like i think it's definitely an insurable risk across the sector um that you know people can um uh you know pay pay a premium for and, and get protection i think that'll that'll encourage more institutions to come in over time totally well i mean what i hear here is that the usual. We're still early, basically, right? But we're actually starting to see it. But that there's this endless world of legacy market products and strategies yeah. that can all eventually be brought on chain. It's just going to be a matter of time and security. But I think it we'll is, get all it of is. it. It is. It, it always takes a little bit longer than we than we think at first. Um, but then 
in the in the um in the longer Hockey term, stick. we always underestimate. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the S curve. We always underestimate how much progress we'll make over a ten or a fifteen or a twenty year period. Yeah, people don't uh, struggle to think exponentially, but once it goes par- parabolic, it uh, gen- generally exactly. doesn't come back with adoption. Price maybe, but adoption not so much. <laughs> Sidman, th- thank you yeah. so much. Uh, when, when, where are you headed next for a conference? So next time we make sure we don't miss each other. I am going to be in Solana um, in uh, Amsterdam for a Solana breakpoint at the start of uh, start of November. So hopefully I'll see you there. Awesome. Maybe we'll see. Sid, guys, everybody follow him. He still has the, like one of the best names, Syrup Sid, on Twitter. I love it. <laughs> you know, maple Syrup. Awesome. You guys get it. Clever. Anyways, <laughs> thank you very much. I'll see you awesome. soon. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. See you, man. Guys, and so listen, I'm going to bring Charlie on in, in just a couple minutes, but I wanted to talk about the actual uh, title of this stream, which, as usual, seems uh, hyperbolic and clickbaity, but that doesn't work for us anyways. Here's the one thing Bitcoin traders should be watching, right? And this uh, applies not only to Bitcoin traders, if you ask me, but Bank of America's latest take on U.S. Treasury notes suggests a major market event ahead. Now, basically what they're saying here, to give you the really quick and dirty, is that they're massively oversold. Uh, bonds are massively oversold, which we can see, and that they are extremely, extremely far and discounted from their 200-day moving averages. Now, anybody who does use moving averages knows that eventually price generally reverts to the mean, right? And people use 50 or 100 or 200-day moving averages as the likely place for a mean reversion like that. But it's also important to note that that mean reversion can come with those moving averages coming down or up to price. It doesn't necessarily mean that where that moving average is now is where price is headed. But basically, this is saying when bonds are this oversold, here you go, treasuries trading over 5% below 200 DMA, note oversold sell-offs all coincided for shattered events. October 87 crash, May 94 tequila crisis. I honestly, dude, I want to have a tequila crisis right now. June 99 internet bubble, March 21 crypto pop, October 22 NASDAQ pop. This is Bank of America analyst said in a note titled, The Price of Money Sent to Clients October 5th. You can see here, they just give a quick kind of chart showing every time they're overbought and oversold what happens. And this is the part that's going to get you guys all uh, all excited. The latest oversold reading looks, looks analogous to the one observed in early 2021, following which Bitcoin rose to new record highs above 60,000. By the end of May 2021, Bitcoin fell back 60,000. Yeah, dude, we were all there. Thanks. In other words, broader markets, including Bitcoin, could see increased price turbulence. So the moral of the story here is when we see bonds this oversold, generally we see risk assets go up, which is counter to the narrative of what you would expect if we actually see a war or something of that term. Just say of that type. Let's see. A, take a quick look at TLT. This is the iShares 20-year Treasury bond ETF. This is the way, by the way, that a lot of people look for exposure to bonds without actually buying treasuries. But you can see here, guys, even on the monthly, it's oversold, likely bullish divergence here, right? Almost at the lows of 80.51 historical lows going all the way back to 2002. So TLT on the monthly oversold, as I'm saying here. And that 200 moving average on the monthly is all the way up at 117. While this is currently at 85.95. I mean, I haven't even looked, but take a look at the weekly. The 200 moving average is all the way up at 132. Also, although over an extended period, oversold on RSI with bullish divergence. I bet it's the same on the daily. And look at the volume that's been coming in. Daily, it's clearly bouncing, oversold bullish divergence again, and the 200 MA up at around 100. So the idea here from that article is that there's a whole lot of room to move right now for bonds if you believe that this has been an over, over, over uh, aggressive sell-off. 
taking a look at 10-year yields here, you got the weekly, and I pointed this out on uh, on Garrett Soloway's channel. I'm not a huge fan of TD, but it tends to work sometimes, Tom DeMarc. But you do have a sell nine that's printed here with overbought RSI once again. You get a, maybe a few more candles before it, it tends to head down, but that looks like a correction would be likely in the 10-year. I mean, taking a look at the daily 10-year, looking massively overbought again. And then we go over to the two-year, right? And we know the yield curve has been rapidly uninverting here, which I can show you again later. But this is coming up into a, a key area. I mean, you're talking about the highs from 2005, you know, 2006. And again, if you look at the flip side of this, obviously, I showed you TLT. You guys understand when yields go up, bonds go down. When bonds go up, yields go down. Right, the value of a bond goes up that you could buy as the yield goes down. Anyways, still overbought here, and those 200-day moving averages way down here at 1.4 percent versus 4.98 percent where we are. So the bottom line is these yields have a long way to move just to revert to the mean. That was a lot, but that's why we're expecting more volatility as we see bonds massively oversold and yields massively overbought. And we go ahead and bring on everyone's favorite Brit. Charlie Brody. It's just, <laughs> uh, it just, it just I, happens, man. I don't, even, comes I don't even think my wife would agree with you on that one. So, well, um, that, 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 I mean, that, that's a counter indicator of the same thing. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. If you are the favorite, it's unlikely your wife thinks so. <laughs> How are you doing? All right? I'm, I'm good, man. She would never admit it anyways, right? She might uh, think it She admits down. it to everybody. I mean, the everybody. flip side, she, you know, she would never admit it if she thought you were oh, the no. best because then Absolutely you'd get a big not. head and... Yeah, you know, get ego and all that. So listen, man, I think we can start here, obviously, what I just kind of said, but yields, mm -hmm. I think, leads us into the dollar, which leads us into what's going to happen with markets. And I think, you know, uh, we're at a very critical juncture here. I don't know if you would agree. Yeah, I do. And um, it's it's funny. I mean, so often when I come on, uh, you know, uh, your, you know, my analysis is pretty much what your analysis is, roughly speaking. <laughs> so it seems to be the case. And um, yeah, it was interesting just picking up on what you were saying about those 10-year yields and two-year yields. I was literally with my traders in my trading community this morning talking about exactly that, just how stretched they are. But as you quite rightly said, you know, markets can remain stretched for a lot longer than people can remain solvent. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but so catching the the turns uh, is interesting. I did think, funny enough, looking at the two-year yield, I thought that breakdown in the yield yesterday if you go back to your 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 two year your daily charts, I thought that was quite an interesting breakdown on the daily chart there. Uh, yet of the yields yesterday. That was the monthly. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you guys. Sorry, I just got to zoom out. Yeah, that was a pretty big breakdown and drop and close below the fifty, and now exactly. that's resistance. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly that. First close below the fifty-day moving average, a true close below it since it broke up back in earlier on this May. year. So yeah, yeah. So um, I do think it's yeah we're a really interesting juncture we've seen coming obviously the interrelationship between yields the stock markets the dollar it's all there so where do you want me to start the stock market the dollar where do we where do we go up to, up to you man i mean listen the dollar finally yeah, i would love if you could bring up your screen of course but the dollar sure. last week's chart finally last week's candle finally showing some potential top toppiness here Right. I mean, that is a, that is an aggressively horrid looking uh, candle for those who, who trade those, that gravestone doji, whatever you guys want to call yep. it. Uh, you know, a huge upper wick, tiny body indicating that this is where finally the bears have really decided to step in. Yeah, I think what's been interesting, I mean, I, I've been I've been um, 
longed the dollar a while ago. I've been short it. <laughs> so um, I've been long it recently and I've, I'm out now. So I've been short the euro dollar, um, yeah. but I'm out now of that. Um, it's uh, a few weeks ago. didn't catch the lows, of course, and I am now long. So just so if you get me back on in a few weeks time, I'm long currently euro dollar. Um, I short the dollar. Short the um, dollar for those who don't understand I, that, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm now short the dollar just as of last week. I was sitting on a beach in Greece last week and um, managed to place some trades. So interestingly on your chart there, on your weekly chart of the dollar, look at your 50 period moving average. This is something I often teach with traders is if you get a price, overshoot a key moving average like a 200, you had some charts up earlier on, or a 50, but if that 50 is still sloping down, even though price is going, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And we um, maybe we'll have a look at a chart of gold actually during Please. this session if we've yeah. got enough time because there's a lovely example on gold at the moment. So for me, when price goes up like that, you're right, lovely reversal. Of course, the dollar's had what 11, nearly 12 straight winning re weeks, it just gave it back at the end of last week. But with that 50 sloping down, it's often a sign to me that, because um, I use moving averages a lot, that price will often want to retrace back towards, and you were just talking about mean reversion, back towards the moving average, which is sloping away from it. So it's not 100%, nothing is, but it is something that I use within my analysis. And it's interesting that the dollar index looks like that. And by proxy, the euro dollar on the weekly chart looks like that as well. But turned upside down of course if you could take a look there here's the euro dollar although yeah that's well, actually did kind of play out um, we'll just go ahead yeah I'll, I'll pull it back up i think it's just a different uh oh i see template here's 15 200 right here although we barely got a 200 there because it's a that monthly can't be you want to take a no no i'm gonna go to the weekly now here you go there you go. So you can see that very clearly there, that 50 facing upwards. So price has extended the wrong side of it. Then what I'm usually looking for is some kind of support to come in. Um, and if we if we start to see a turn, saw a few divergences on the um, on the euro. I use a MACD. I know you use an RSI. Um, but um, just coming into last week, and um, and then we start to see those tails there. Then. Um, then, oh, sorry, the divergences are on the daily chart. My apologies. Yeah, but no um, but that time frame, that weekly, it's a lovely example of 50 period moving up, prices below it. I'd like to see a retracement, at least to try and close the gap. Yeah, I mean, it's not, not, not surprisingly for everyone, when you're looking at a DXY chart and you see that ugly weekly candle on the top, you can pretty much guarantee you're going to flip to a euro US dollar, uh, US dollar chart and see a beautiful hammer on the bottom. Oh, right. Yeah, you've got so, an EMA up there. I use a simple. That's why. Yeah, this is. A, I'm just. Average. Yeah, so do, so do I. To be honest, I just uh, hit the wrong one because the MACD. Go. Yeah, yeah, it was go. on that MACD chart. That's, yeah, I mean, you can see this beautiful hammer reversal. You can see all this demand with these uh, downward wicks right here. This, you know, this week obviously has three days and eight hours left, but. This looks reversing. And it's quite interesting, you know, lining this all up from a macro perspective as well. We're just starting to see the narrative start to change from some of the Fed speakers as well, aren't we? They're starting to say, well, the market's done a lot of the heavy lifting for us now. So we're just starting to see some rhetoric change just over this last week as well. And of course, uh, Fed futures pricing for the November hike is basically almost at zero. It's at 13% yeah. at the moment. So um, I think it gives the... Uh, at least in the near term, the dollar, the opportunity to have a little bit of a reprieve and at, and at least uh, take a bit of a rest. Then we'll see if things start to progress from there. My view is if we do start to see get a, a rally going, 
I'm going to take a bigger picture view that this might actually be the beginning of something larger. But I'm a bit tentative at the moment. I want to see the price action. But um, I think that what's going to happen is we've got, um, obviously, we've got the debt ceiling coming back into play middle of next month and all sorts of other things going on from a, from a macro perspective and um, uh, political perspective as well, of course. And so it wouldn't surprise me if uh, it, it at, we're in the early throes of probing a low. It's not, we couldn't, it's not to say we couldn't do another test of the lows yet, but, um, but that's what I'm looking for is potentially this could end up being a bigger move. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're taking even just a general look, I mean, this was the lows of 2023 effectively are here. Right. Yep. That's the second day. So I barely count that. And here and all these candles have swept those lows. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I still keep coming back to this range. And I know it's not going to happen now unless the euro goes and has a big run to the downside or <laughs> massively to the upside in the next few, three months. But it's only done 800, just over 800 pips range for the year. Its average range is twice that it's over 1600 pips so a disappointment for the euro dollar in many regards from a range perspective it's very compressed which may bode well coming back to what you've said about where things going over the next 12 months from a volatility perspective because quite often when we get these sort of compressions you know that then they don't last forever yeah i mean this is what i would be looking for this up when i'm looking at this too i would definitely get long euro here and especially when dxy looked so toppy there so i i definitely agree did you want to take a look at that gold chart i got xau here yeah um it's, this got, is fact, can you go to the weekly with yeah, those moving I, averages on? oh man i don't know what i did did something one second yeah weekly 5200 uh, i've got some wild so there, this this is, trading view has changed to be very annoying with their auto uh here we go Anyways, I oh, you just need range, to save yeah. the settings, but um, yeah, I know. But yeah, the um, what I think is interesting with gold right now is it's come down to that 200 day, as you've just said, or oh, sorry, 200 week moving average. Yeah, um, so again, from a moving average perspective, that's nice. And as you've put on there, it's clipped some nice technical uh, prior highs and lows as well. And look at that 50 facing upwards as well. So that would always suggest to me that there's the potential for a bit more upside. And obviously with what's going on over in the Middle East at the moment, gold's um, caught a bid. And But if the dollar is going to retrace more as well, then um, that it, the story bodes well in over the, in the uh, certainly over the near term for gold to generally seek out some higher prices. Absolutely. Anything else you want to take a look at before I let you go? Stock market. I might as well have yeah, a look you, at that. What do you want, SPX or SPY yeah. since your screen's um, that SPX. SPX. Here we go. SPX. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't, honestly, I haven't even been looking at these. I'm just, it's fun when you come back and see price at levels you drew a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, we, we had that breakdown there on, on that one. And it's a decent bounce in the last few days, really. Again, as we're starting to see risk on come in, of course, yesterday and from the weekend was uh, interesting to see how it, how it was going to play itself out. Um, I'm looking at uh, the stock market right now. You know, I was short. I ha again, have been short. I've not got long, um, so I'll, I'm not going to say that. But um, but I'm now been trading stopped out of my short, and I'm looking for some more upside. Now we've talked about seasonals previously as well. Um, October is a classic month of making lows. Um, but really, it's about, for me, about November, December, that, that classic Santa Claus rally sort of period. I think we're setting up 
quite well potentially for that and um, but then again i've got a bias at the moment because i want the euro dollar to go up and if the right. euro is going up the stock market are going up as well right so, because uh, the dollar which it just means the dollar is going down right. exactly yeah. yeah so um i would like to see that but the leader is obviously the nasdaq the nasdaq's that bit stronger than uh, than all of course than all of the markets and it's already um doing faring um quite well the nasdaq but um yeah so i would like to yeah, I, I'm I'm, stu- I'm leaning back towards the the uh, the long side. I'm not long at the moment. I'm waiting for a bit more confirmation. Um, it's actually the Dow that I really like the look of, um, even though it's not the strongest. If we can zoom out, uh, if you can zoom out a bit on the Dow, there's the weekly. Uh, uh, on the daily. Oh, it's wider on the daily. Gotcha. Yeah. So the the Dow, I think, is a. It's just a. I just love this chart because around about. Uh, hold on, let's have a look at quick look at mine. Around about uh, thirty four thousand three hundred. So clipping through a lot of the the price action because yours is now so zoomed out, can't quite see. But um, going back across all the highs of early twenty twenty three, around that sort of level, oh, a bit higher. No, uh, I'm looking at a CFD chart. Um, so a bit higher towards those highs of that first month or two of yeah across yeah, there. Yeah, there's so many attempts that the Dow had at, at trying to breach that whole zone going through this year. Yes, it, exactly where you just had it. Yeah, um, that is such a lovely level. So what I'm looking for is if the Dow can get back up to that level, then I'll start looking at entries on the long side because it's what I call a pebble on a pond. And a pebble on the pond, you imagine you're skimming a pebble across the surface of the pond and it bounces, 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 and eventually um, falls through. This is that in reverse. It's had an attempt at the upside and a breakout. Yes, it's failed so far, but that that could also be a false breakout. So I think that level is something that all traders should be keeping an eye on because if we can breach back above that level, then all bets are off. Uh, so kind of these higher lows concern. you're talking about, right? Yeah. It's just kind yeah, of yeah. High. It's sort of the, uh, it's a, would be a descending triangle, but all of this ruins that. But yeah. It, it did the a idea bit, basically but, that you get, yeah. But that the higher level lows is still, pushing towards resistance. Yep. That's still an interesting level overall, if it gets there. They're all ifs and buts at the moment, but that's something that I'm looking for over the next few weeks. It would tie in well with that, you know, November, December period. We'll see. Well, I enjoyed being your assistant. And, uh, I enjoyed. I needed to put my glasses on to be able to see the charts today. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess next time we'll figure out how to get yours up here again. Well, thank you, man. I always appreciate the perspective. It'll be interesting to see uh, where we're at next time you come on, and if yeah, we get absolutely. that Santa Claus rally, or if uh, geopolitical events have different exactly. plans for us. Yeah, take care, right, man. Thank you so much, Charlie. Have a good one, man. Right. All right, everybody. That's it. You guys may have noticed yesterday that we moved the Crypto Town Hall to the Crypto Town Hall Twitter account. Uh, crypto underscore town hall. We will be there in 25 minutes. Guys, that's all I got for you today. It was fun to talk about something that wasn't the war, even though obviously that will continue to uh, press on all of us, I'm, I'm sure, for, for, for quite a while. Guys, I will see you all on Twitter Spaces and then back here tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Peace. That's dope.